The Mark Stein Show. And now, here's Mark. How's it going? Not so long ago. Was it only a couple of weeks ago? I was, as Macbeth put it, as broad and general as the casing air. But now I am cabined, cribbed, confined, bound in to saucy doubts and fears. I like the word saucy. We have some fears and we have some saucy bits on today's show. So lay on Macduff. March 27th. 2020. From my house arrest to yours. It's your Politburo pandemic Palooza. Everybody was kung flu fighting. Those stats climbed fast as lightning. It was a little bit frightening Chai comes of expert timing There were funky China men From funky Wuhan town They were chopping bats up They were chowing them down It's an ancient Chinese dish And everybody says delish Chairman Z will book your flight You'll be in Tonight and everybody starts Kung Flu fighting. Okay, that's enough of that. Uh, and just ahead of your Corona cavalcade of the day's headlines, let's remind ourselves of President-in-waiting Joe Biden's vital, indispensable leadership on this issue. We have to take care of the cure. That will make the problem worse no matter what. No matter what. Hold that thought. You know it makes sense. In 2005, an obscure Danish newspaper in Jutland, Jyllands Posten, found itself on the front lines of the war against free speech when it published a series of Mohammed cartoons. And Islam went nuts, and the world's media were too gutless to stand up uh, for a core principle underpinning their very existence. Fifteen years later, my old friends at Yillens Poston have published another cartoon, a coronavirus cartoon by Niels Bo Boyesa, showing the red Chinese flag with coronavirus particles where the yellow stars are meant to be. Beijing is demanding an apology. I've known the guys at Yillens Poston a long time. They didn't back down to the Jihad boys. They won't do it to Chinese communists, no matter how much of that commie water the rest of the Western media are willing to carry. As Professor Glenn Reynolds, the Instapundit, puts it, the virus is a fire and China is the arsonist. But uh, don't worry, Beijing has generously shipped thousands of testing kits to some of the countries it's infected. Uh, In Spain and the Czech Republic, the hospitals say the kits don't work. Thanks a bunch, China. It took 67 days for the Wuhan virus to rack up its first 100,000 cases, 95% of which could have been avoided had Beijing not lied to the world. As a result, 
We have had another 100,000 cases in the last 24 hours. Wuhan's gift to the planet is now in 180 countries. That's almost a full set. The United States has overtaken China to take the prize as number one COVID-infected nation on Earth. That's to say it has the most confirmed coronavirus cases. China is now number two, but Italy will push the Chicoms into third place when it announces its latest figures later today at 5 p.m. Greenwich Mean Time. Uh, Among the dead of recent days lies a cautionary tale. Virginia Pastor Landon Spradlin of New Wave Ministries International dismissed the China virus as anti-Trump media hysteria. He declared that, as long as I walk in the light of that law... Uh, the, uh, the the Holy Spirit, no germ will attach itself to me. And so he went to New Orleans to, quote, wash it from its sin and debauchery during Mardi Gras. Pastor Spradlin died on Wednesday, age 66. In the Punjab, 40,000 Indians from 20 villages are in quarantine because of another preacher of the uh, Sikh persuasion this time, Baldev Singh. He's dead, but not before becoming a super spreader by spreading the word to tens of thousands of villagers. Our Mark Stein show celebrity virus victim of the day uh, couldn't really be anyone else after prime ministerial wives testing positive In Ottawa and Madrid, in London, my old boss Boris Johnson has become the first prime minister in the world to get the Chinese virus. Get well soon, Boris. Uh, I am glad that he held this week's weekly audience with the Queen, uh, who's approaching her 94th birthday, uh, via telephone. Uh, But I do wonder about last week's audience and the last time. He was at uh, Windsor or Buckingham Palace. Boris is self-quarantining. Not everybody does. In the southern Komoni district of Rwanda, a virus-afflicted man was ordered to stay home but decided to leave the house to go fishing. Uh, He had broken the stay-home rule. He's among very few people here who are not cooperating with the lockdown to stop the virus, the mayor, Alice Kayetese, told the BBC. So he went to the river, got out his fishing rod, and was eaten by a crocodile. See you later, incubator. After a while, crocodile. Over a quarter of the world's population is now under some form of state-ordered lockdown. Lacking crocodiles to keep the locals in order, many governments are sliding smoothly from public emergency mode to authoritarian crackdown. And I don't just mean Saudi Arabia, where a man is facing the death penalty for spitting on a shopping cart. In Britain, a land where everything is policed except crime, the wankers of the Derbyshire Constabulary have been using drones to corona shame lone dog walkers walking a dog in the wilds of the Peak District National Park, uh, with no other humanity around them for miles. Then posting it, posting the video to the internet, Because as the useless bugger peelers never have any real work to do, even at times like this, why not? The Humberside police have created a new website so that if your neighbours are not social distancing enough, you can snitch on them to the coppers, just like East Germans did to the Stasi. 
Dr. Deborah Burks of the Trump administration has said the media have, quote, frightened the American people by speculating on, quote, salacious, salacious. I like that word. It's almost as good as saucy. Salacious coronavirus numbers, says Dr. Burks. The media are responding by declining to air the Trump daily briefings, uh, preferring to fill their airtime with analysis of what you'd see the president saying if they allowed you to see him saying it. Uh, analysis by trivial, parochial, anti-Trump buffoons who've gotten more or less everything wrong on this topic in the last two months. The Chinese virus mainly afflicts men by two to one over women and older men at that. But as I noted the other day, the definition of old seems to be getting younger. 90s, 80s, 70s, ailing Italians in their 60s, celebrity chefs in their 50s, doctors in their 40s, a British diplomat in Budapest in his 30s. As I said a day or two back, uh, the headline writers used to crow that 70 is the new 30. At your local hospital, 30 is the new 70. At the Necker Hospital in Paris, Julie, a 16-year-old schoolgirl with no underlying conditions, has died a week after developing a slight cough. On the Rio Grande, Mexico, uh, terrified of incoming infected Americans, has closed the border. It's not yet a wall, but the Mexicans are paying for it, which is just as well, because under that bazillion-dollar boondoggle bill, America's going to be paying for everything else. In Vermont, Governor Phil Scott has sealed the state's borders to passenger trains of the Federal Rail Service Amtrak. Does he have the authority to do that? Hey, who knows? The courts are closed, which may be why all those district court judges striking down immigration policy have fallen silent in recent days. Among the casualties of the Chinese virus is Playboy magazine, of all things. Playboy magazine, which has just shut down its print edition after two-thirds of a century. So Beijing has killed off the centerfold. That's amazing. No adolescent boy will ever again know that thrill of discovery when you're looking at a magazine, just like any other magazine, like Time or People or Reader's Digest, and then you suddenly get to the middle and you realise you have to tilt it 90 degrees and the lower third drops down and... Wow! A brilliant design innovation. Alas, Playboy says the coronavirus has disrupted its supply chain. No idea what that means. Uh, presumably every staple in the world is now made in China. Anyway, to mark the death of the centerfold, I thought I'd share some of my favourites over the years. Here's, here's one I've never really forgotten. Uh, October 1977. Oh, and uh, we can't leave out this one. How about uh, May 1968? Oh, and I, uh, uh, this is fabulous, this one. I always like February 1981. What's that? This feature doesn't really work on radio? Uh, okay, how about this?
That's one of the coolest guys I ever knew, Cy Coleman, playing his own composition, Playboy's Theme, which he wrote for Playboy's TV show. I think it was called Playboy's Penthouse. The Chinese can manufacture everything from aspirin to viruses, but they have yet to build a factory that can produce a Cy Coleman, and for that I am grateful. A final virus note before we move on. Remember Harry and Meghan? The Duke and Duchess of Wokiness? Nah, me neither. But they popped up on their website the other day to recommend that people should start washing their hands. And even the few sad internet groupies who still visit their inert Instagram account scoffed, gee, thanks for nothing. Harry and Meghan have now washed their hands of Canada and of Her Majesty's dominions in toto. As the Maple Curtain came down on the 49th parallel, the Duke and Duchess decided life under quarantine on Salt Spring Island in British Columbia was not for them and hightailed it out of there by private plane to... Ah, go on, guess. Yeah. Los Angeles. They traded being minor royals for being minor celebrities, which is truly pathetic. If they're lucky, they'll be seat fillers at next year's Oscars. I miss the old Harry. But a beautiful maiden kissed the prince and turned him into a woke frog, and now they've hopped off. Good riddance. Let's all wash our hands of them. Fight the quarantine blues with Mark Stein's newest tale for our time. What better way to escape from the global pandemic right outside your door than with a fantastic tale about the... The plague? Am I reading this right? Not sure whether this counts as escapist entertainment, but transport yourself back to a 1665 that looks a lot like 2020, complete with quarantines and social distancing. Tune into SteinOnline.com nightly for the newest episode of Mark Stein's reading of Daniel Defoe's A Journal of the Plague Year. Tales for Our Time serializations are available exclusively to members of the Mark Stein Club. Listen to all 35 tales, including the present one, by going to steinonline.com T-F-O-T. Mark Stein's Poem of the Week. A couple of days ahead of our usual Sunday video poetry slot, here's some Rhymes for the times as we go from bad to verse. There are lots of very profound and metaphysical poems about contagion, infection, and all the rest, going all the way back to the Greeks. Uh, But it's the weekend, and I sought something a little larkier. So this comes by way of a North American versifier, Walt Mason, Born in 1862 in British North America in the colony of Upper Canada. Died in the United States in Kansas. You can see the house of his birth in Columbus, Ontario. uh, And you can see the house of his death in Emporia, Kansas. Um, Although I think when it comes uh, to the house of his birth, if memory serves, they moved it a little ways uh, up the street in uh, Columbus, Ontario. Columbus is just north of the 407, uh, which wasn't there in his day, uh, and it's near Oshawa, uh, and rather smaller, in fact, about 300 people these days than it was uh, back in young Walt's time when it had the biggest woolen mill in the area, Empire Mills. His dad, a Welshman, 
worked there as a dyer of wool. The dyer died. He fell down a mine shaft when Walt was four years old. Uh, his mum died when he was 15. That was the way it was for many kids uh, at that point in the 19th century. Walt moved north to work in a hardware store in Fort Hope and then south to New York and west to Kansas and Emporia, which is about halfway between Topeka and Wichita and where you can uh, visit the Walt Mason House on West 12th Avenue. Uh, his humorous column for the Emporia Gazette, Rippling Rhymes, was picked up and syndicated, and it became the most widely read column in North America. Mr. Mason became known as, quote, the Poet Laureate of American Democracy, which is quite a title. Here is the poem that he published in hundreds and hundreds of newspapers in mid-November 1918. Influenza, labelled Spanish, came and beat me to my knees. Seven doctors couldn't banish from my form that punk disease. For it's not among the quitters. Vainly doctors pour their bitters into ailing human critters. They just sneeze and swear and sneeze. Said my doctor, I have tackled every sort of ill there is. I have cured up people shackled by the gout and rheumatiz. With the itch and mumps I've battled, in my triumphs have been tattled. But this flu stuff has me rattled. So I pause to say, gee whiz. I am burning, I am freezing in my little truckle bed. I am cussing, I am sneezing with a poultice on my head. And the doctors and the nurses say the patient growing worse is. And they hint around of hearses and of folks who should be dead. Doom has often held the cleaver pretty near my swan-like neck. I've had the chills and fever till my system was a wreck. I've had the yallagandus, foot and mouth disease and glandus, and a plague they brought from Flanders on an old windjammer's deck. But this measly influenza has all other ills outclassed. It has put me in a frenzy like a soldier who's been gassed. If the villainous inventor this my lodge of pain should enter, I would use the voice of stentor till he had been roundly sassed. May the influenza vanish. Of all ailments, it's the worst. But I don't believe it's Spanish. Haven't thought so from the first. On my couch of anguish squirming, I've had leisure to determine that the blamed disease is German, which is why it is accursed. You couldn't say that now in our crimped, self-censored times, but Walt Mason published that rippling rhyme two or three days after the armistice of November 11th, 1918, when the guns fell silent on the western front of a ruined world and in the rubble of fallen empires, a new silent enemy emerged to stalk the planet. I do like the way uh, the poet conjures it in that splendid phrase, that punk disease. Uh, Spanish flu was a punk disease, and so is this one. Walt Mason survived the Spanish flu by two decades. So a happy ending to our poem of the week. <laughs> Oh, you know what that music means. Mark's Mailbox, David London, writes from the United Kingdom. Mark, you've been keeping a close watch on the coronavirus figures in Italy. 
But have you spared a moment to consider the figures for Japan, where a notoriously ageing population of 125 million compared to 60 million in Italy in far closer geographic proximity to China has so far registered a total of 42 deaths from coronavirus as compared to Italy's 6,820. What explains such a vast disparity? Well, in the, whatever it is, uh, one or two days since uh, David has written that letter, that 6,825 has in fact uh, gone up by uh, 1,500 to whatever it is, 8,215. Uh, whereas uh, Japan's death toll in the same period uh, remains actually at 42. So yeah, it's a completely different situation in Japan uh, from the situation that is prevailing in Italy, which is unusual because the two countries are the two oldest nations on the face of the earth. Uh, Japan has a third of its population or thereabouts over the age of 65, and Italy is ticking just behind. So although they're a long way away and don't seem similar, among developed nations, uh, they're at the top of the demographic death spiral, uh, which I had a big best-selling book about a few years back, called America Alone, The End of the World as We Know It. Uh, It's difficult to get a bestseller out of demography, but I managed to do it. Uh, And I will give you Uh, two takes on that answer, David, because it's a fascinating question. They actually have the same rate of growth of the coronavirus at the moment, which is that it's going up about 8%. Actually, I think the last 24 hours figures are identical, 8.3% in Italy and 8.3% in Japan. But in Japan, it's going up 8.3%, having been held at 3, 4, 5% in early March, whereas Italy's has declined to 8.3%, having exploded to, at one point, 50%, then 30%, 25% coming down. So it's a completely different uh, crisis in both countries. There's one thing that I think Japan did. You said it's near to China. And because of its geographical proximity to China, It took what happened with SARS seriously. And like Singapore and like South Korea and like Hong Kong, it thought about what had happened with SARS, learned the lessons from SARS. But to, to step back and look at it in the bigger picture, you say that uh, Japan is far closer, has a far closer geographical proximity to China than Italy does. But uh, again, to quote from uh, what I wrote about SARS in America alone, proximity is all. And the fact of the matter is that uh, everywhere is proximate to each other. Miles don't matter because you can cover the miles just by going to the airport and getting on a plane. But, uh, but, But in terms of how they arrange their affairs, Italy is much more proximate to China than Japan is. If you go to almost any city, setting aside Japan, if you go to almost any city in the Western world, it doesn't matter whether you're talking about New York or uh, Toronto 
or Paris or Rome. Everybody under 50 seems to come from somewhere else. The somewhere else they come from, you can't really tell uh, because sometimes uh, the guy serving you your Starbucks will appear to be a svelte tongan, uh, but he might actually turn out to be a corpulent pushtun. It doesn't really matter. You can't tell half the time, but you're vaguely aware that in any Western city, uh, the people who drive your cab, uh, the people who pour your coffee, the people who bring your bags up from the lobby, almost to a man or woman, come from somewhere else. Japan is a great exception to that in that it does not arrange its affairs that way. It has uh, no mass immigration and doesn't want any. So you can have a a situation like the coronavirus. For, For example, to use the phrase President Trump used when he shut down travel from Europe, because he said certain Europeans had flown into America and seeded outbreaks of coronavirus. And when those outbreaks are seeded, It kind of makes a difference where they're seated. For example, this thing got big in America because of what happened in Washington state, which is that an old folks home was infected. If you go to an old folks home in Washington state or in Italy or in France, the people running and staffing the old folks home will be from somewhere else. If you go to an old folks home in Japan, uh, they're running out of young people. But if there are any human beings still in those old folks homes, they're Japanese. Or they're robots because the Japanese are are the nation that's decided to be the first to take a flyer on the post-human future. And has got these incredibly lifelike robots that can turn you over and give you the bed bath and all the rest of it in the Japanese uh, a geriatric ward, and on the hand, they, uh, on the on the whole, they've got these lifeless, life-like, flesh-like hands that are, on the whole, less uh, callous than, say, the average geriatric nurse in Britain's National Health Service. So, even if you just compare old folks' home to old folks' home, Japan has a much better chance, right from the get-go, simply because of its. Uh, uh, immigration policies of not having all the service jobs, in other words, all the jobs where people are in contact with dozens and dozens and dozens of people from somewhere else. Uh, and that is a great, that is actually a great advantage in terms of, of stopping community spread. Then you have the compounding factor in Italy which is that Chinese propaganda is expended by essentially making these videos of sad-looking Chinese people standing there in masks saying, I'm a human being, not a virus, and inviting the locals to hug them. You know, in some of the wackier courtrooms of America, you'd have a pretty good case for a class action wrongful death suit against the Politburo with their propaganda. But the reason you'd probably lose the case is because all the Italians who matter got on board with the total bollocks, such as the mayor of Florence uh, launching his Hugger Chinaman campaign. You couldn't get away with that in Japan. Uh, You can say a lot of things about the Japanese, and actually it's sort of weird 
uh, to be in a society where the maternity wards are closing because nobody's having babies. Uh, They no longer make toys for kids, but instead they make toys for grandparents that speak the kind of crude phrases your grandkids would say if you had any grandkids. You can go on and on and on about the weirdness of Japan, but at the heart of it, they're not deluded about diversity as the West is. Uh, And that is what you see in Italy, and that is what you see in New York, whose death... And and I'll make just... who's. Uh, I'll make a I'll make a general point here just to close, David, because it is a fascinating question. Once everybody gets on the Italy trip, everyone is basically on an identical curve. It's just a matter of how many days behind Italy you are. You might be a couple of days like Spain, but the curve is basically identical across the Western world. Japan never got on that curve. And the reason Japan never got on that curve is it because is it be, is because for the same reason uh, that it never had mass immigration and why it prefers robots to cheap foreign labor in its geriatric wards because if everyone is going down the demographic death spiral Japan would rather die as Japan than as an utterly transformed society which is the way most of Western Europe is heading. If this, what's happening in Italy, were to keep up, where you're getting close to having twice the number of deaths uh, per day that Italy would normally have, if that goes on for a while, what's the net result of that? The net result of that uh, in Italy, in Austria, in France, would simply be an acceleration of the Islamization of those societies. Japan took a Japan has reached a cultural consensus that it isn't in that game. Mark Stein's last call. The biggest hit record Ever to come out of Cameroon is by a songwriter, saxophonist from Diwala, Manu Dibango, Sol Makosa. Number 35 on America's Billboard Hot 100 in 1973. And if you're thinking, wait a minute, this sounds way more familiar than some number 35 from 47 years ago, that's because it got quote-unquote sampled by many persons, including Rihanna in Don't Stop the Music, and Michael Jackson in Wannabe Startin' Something, both of whom the Cameroonian sax maestro wound up taking to court. He certainly started something, but this week, the music stopped. Dead in Paris of the Chinese virus at the age of 86, Manu Dibanga. Dead in New York of the Chinese virus at the age of 69, Mark Bloom 
an actor rarely out of work this last half century. You'll know him from Crocodile Dundee with Paul Hogan, Blind Date with Bruce Willis and Kim Basinger, and Desperately Seeking Susan, where he aced an audition with Madonna. I was in Los Angeles, my screen flew to New York on a red eye, and they said you're doing a screen test with this person named Madonna. And uh, so I, I came and I, uh, I went to the office, and I sat there, and this woman sat down next to me who um, I thought was a bike messenger. Shorts and a bandana wrapped around her head and a ratty little script and everything. And uh, then Susan came out and said, oh, hi, Mark, Mark, you met Madonna. And I said, oh, no, hi, how you doing? And she said, why don't you go into a room and rehearse? And uh, so they locked us in a room to rehearse. And I'll never forget the first thing she said to me. I'm not going to tell you what it is, but I'll never forget it. And, and uh, then and then we came in and we, we did our... Uh, we did our screen test, and she misbehaved during during the screen test. And um, well, she she uh, you know we we did, we did the scene where we first meet in the in danceateria, and uh, you know and I was just coming like oh hi you know you need to see my wife you know, I'm really looking for my wife. And during the whole scene, she kept sort of kissing and licking the side of my face. <laughs> it seemed inappropriate, but 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 fun. So, uh, we did this game at the end of it, and, and afterwards, so Susan thanked Madonna, and she left, and Susan said, Madonna likes you. Alumuna, Sisi Aou, Yasama Kosa. Amuna Yeye, Amuna Yeye, Koma, Sama Kosa. Jenny Polanco started designing jewelry and haute couture in the Dominican Republic and sold them around the world to many glamorous figures, including Elizabeth Taylor. Una zona de mucho dinero, sí. Entonces me llama y me dice, mira, aquí hay una cliente, la señora Elizabeth Taylor. Y yo, Elizabeth Taylor, yo no sé quién es. Me dice, ella es la actriz, digo yo. Ah, ella es Liz Taylor. Dice, sí, ella quiere que usted venga, que ella la quiere conocer. De verdad, se llevó unos 25 collares. Liz Taylor bought out Jenny Palanco's store. This week, Senora Palanco bought it, dead of COVID-19 at the age of 61. Paul Goma was a Romanian dissident. He left Ceausescu's dictatorship for France, only to find that Ceausescu's dictatorship wouldn't leave him. Uh, they kept trying to kill him. Mais il y a des assassinats. J'ai vu quelques fils et je me suis dit c'est une bombe. Je la j'ai ouvert tout de suite. J'étais tout étonné que ça n'a ça n'a pas explosé. Et puis j'ai j'ai la j'ai la déposé dans la salle de bain et j'ai appelé la police. In 1982, a Securitate agent was dispatched by Ceausescu to assassinate Paul Goma by going up to him at the Hotel Concord Lafayette to get a book autographed, in the course of which he slipped a poison pill into Goma's glass. 
Dar un ziarist care este la aceeași masă răstoarnă paharului goma în momentul în care vor să ciocnească. De fapt, ziaristul Seconds e un later, a clumsy Parisian knocked over the poison drink before Goma could sip it. Just another patron of the bar? Actually, no, a counterintelligence agent of France's DST, la Direction de la Surveillance du Territoire. Ceausescu's thwarted hit job gave a Romanian dissident almost another four decades of life. Until this week, dead of the Chinese virus at 84, Paul Goma. Mama say, Mama sa, Mama Makosa. Oh, Mammy! That's not in the original. I just threw it in for poor Justin Trudeau. Still in quarantine. I'll be back later with the latest episode of Daniel Defoe's Journal of the Plague Year. Kathy Shadel will be here with her Saturday movie date. We've a Sunday song of the week, all designed to ease the social distancing. Stay safe, stay free. And with all these French and Romanian intelligence agents running around, let's spy up our theme tune with a few John Barry 007 flourishes from Kevin and the band Maestro. Join us next time for another edition of The Mark Stein Show. The Mark Stein Show is a production of Mark Stein Enterprises and Oak Hill Media. reserved.